Well, today's uh, scripture comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 18, verses 33 to 38. And we're going to have a responsive reading, which means that I'll read the first verse, then we'll respond with the verse right after that, and we'll keep going back and forth until the end. And so um, we encourage you to find the scripture uh, if you have a pew Bible or uh, if you brought your own Bible or if you have a Bible app, but it will also be projected behind me. Um, and so once you're prepared to read the scripture, if you could please stand as able. And again, it's John chapter 18, verses 33 to 38. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, today, uh, today is the beginning of our new sermon series uh, that we're going to be going through over the summer called Truth Is. And where I got the title of this sermon series is from a a Facebook post that I saw. I actually have seen several Facebook posts like this. Uh, Maybe some of you have done this before, where you just post on your status, truth is dot, 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 and that's it. And what you do is you wait for your friends to post a reply, a response. And so they're supposed to speak some truth about you, right? And the funny thing about this is that oftentimes the replies you get will not really have much truth to them. You might get a reply like uh, uh, someone might comment, you know, you say truth is, and they'll comment, truth is, you're just a really awesome person. Truth is, you're the best friend I could ever have. Truth is, um, you're you're the the most beautiful, smartest, best person I know, or something like that, you know? And not to say that those people are lying or that there is no truth there, (laughs) But I think, you know, sometimes, you know, you say like, oh, you're the best person I know. Like, really? The best person you know? The very, very best? You know, what if, you know, three of your really good friends post truth is that week? Are you going to say that to all three people? No, you're actually the second best person I know, right? Like, you know, Teresa earlier this week, she's the best. You're, you're second. You're pretty good, but not quite the best. You know, or, or do you ever see people who post like, you know, like, like a, a, a hard truth? You know, maybe medicine. It'll be like good for you, but it's like hard to hear, you know, but it could like really change your life, right? Like maybe like truth is you probably drink too much, you know, you probably should cut it off at one or two, but you always go to that third drink. It's too much. Truth is your breath kind of stinks like all the time. You know, it's probably like turning people. Truth is you should close your mouth when you chew. Like really, it's kind of gross. Truth is you know, uh, sometimes you're kind of selfish. You know, sometimes you, you talk about yourself too much. You don't let other people get a word. We don't post those things usually, right? 
You know, and because the reason why, and, and <laughs> the reason why is because when people ask for the truth in that situation, they don't really want the truth, right? They want something fluffy and nice to make them feel better, right? Really, what you should say is, compliment me, please, right? That's really what you want. And in a lot of cases, we don't really want to hear the truth. Truth can be hard sometimes. And I want to assure you, friends, that the point of this sermon is to not just go around slinging like really hard truths at people, you know, because the truth is that sometimes we're not ready to hear those things, right? Hearing the truth can be really hard, but sometimes it can be the best possible thing for you. It can be something that changes your life when you are able to embrace a difficult truth, when you are able to admit to yourself that you're wrong about something. That's when real change can happen, right? And that's what a lot of this sermon series is going to be about, about trying to package maybe some slightly uncomfortable or really uncomfortable truths in a way that we can hear it and receive it. Because I think in a lot of ways, friends, right, we have been talking about building the kingdom of God, which is about letting God reign in this entire world, right? Letting this world be the way that God intends it to be. Not the jacked up world that we see now, where there's so much inequality, there's so much injustice, right? There's so much greed, so much poverty, so much sickness and death and war and all these things that are separating us, racism, classism. You know, that is not the way that God's kingdom is supposed to be. We're supposed to live for that. And that God's kingdom, first of all, needs to reign in us. You know, we want the world to be right, but a lot of times the reason why the world isn't right is because we're not right. And so if we want the kingdom of God to come, it needs to come in us. And we need to recognize then, for us to be right, you got to realize where you're wrong, right? And so this is the thing, friends. I think that we have a truth problem nowadays. Right? Actually, this was a headline from uh, the, the cover story for Time Magazine last month. Right? I think it was April 7, 2017. The cover story was, Is Truth Dead? And, <laughs> you know, why did they post a cover story on Is Truth Dead? Well, I, I think that probably a lot of us could figure out why. Uh, because, you know, especially in this recent election cycle, there were a lot of things that were going around where people were saying things, politicians were saying things, where people were like furiously fact-checking, you know, but it was kind of one of these weird things where some of the supporters of certain politicians didn't really care or didn't seem to care if something was really true or not. They would just kind of believe them, right? And then you would have uh, the, the current president saying things like, oh, you know, I had the largest crowd at my inauguration in history when there's actual visual evidence that it was much, much smaller than the last president. Right? But that they say that, and then when someone called them out and said, hey, that's not true, right? that, that we have evidence that's not true. And they say, oh, you know what, sometimes there's alternative facts. Right? And so we live in a world where we talk about alternative facts. Like a fact is something that you could just take, and you could just choose between two facts. Like, oh, this fact says your shirt is red, and this fact says your shirt is blue. I'm just going to believe in the one I want to believe in. Right? And, and, you know, people are talking about fake news and stuff like that, you know, and we don't know who to trust sometimes. And so we live in a world where perhaps truth is something that seems to be a, a lost commodity in many ways. 
But friends, I, I, this is not a, a political sermon. It is not about trying to demonize you know, one side of a political process or anything like that. But I, I simply want to say that, um, yeah, it's very easy for us to point out when other people are wrong. But what about when we're wrong? And, you know, what's funny about truth is that um, if you were to ask people, like, do you think truth is an important value, right? I don't think there's anyone who are, would be like, you know what, truth sucks, you know? I don't like truth. You know, like, that truth thing is just overrated, you know? Um, but the truth is, I think, that many of us really aren't very open to the truth. We're very close-minded to the truth. We get very stuck on the things that we believe. And so throughout our history as human beings, we haven't been good with truth. There have been many people who have believed that they were right about things. But just think about all the things that we used to believe, all the things that I used to believe, you know? Um, Like, just think about our world and science and things like that, things that we just took for granted. Like, we used to believe that the earth was the center of the universe and the sun revolved around the earth, right? We know that's not true. We used to believe the... Earth is flat. We used to believe that the center of the earth was hollow. You ever hear, the, the, uh, hear about the book or see the movie, uh, I think The Rock was in it, Journey to the Center of the Earth, right? What is that about? It's because they used to believe that the, the center of the earth was hollow. They used to believe that uh, cigarettes were good for your throat. Like, oh, that burning sensation? Oh, it's good, right? Like, like your throat is getting better, you know? They used to believe that morphine was good for babies, you know, morphine is this very, like, powerful <laughs> painkiller, this drug. And they, they were like, oh, yeah, give it to your baby. It's going to be great. And the babies are all, like, shaky. And they're like, what's going on, you know? Um, they used to believe that, that blood-sucking leeches would cure a variety of illnesses. It was like the best thing. Like, hey, you're sick? Come here. <laughs> Let me put this blood-sucking leech on you. You know? And, friends, I, I think it's very easy to look back on the past and say, oh, man, you know, people were so stupid. They were so ignorant. You know, there's so many things that I believe to be true. You know, I mean, even things just in my own life. I used to think my dad was like one of the tallest people I ever met. My dad is five foot three. You know, I didn't realize that. It's not that my dad was tall. It's just I was really, really short, right? Um, I used to believe that, um, that, maybe still do, I don't know, that uh, girls would never like me. You know, they would never like me. You know, that, that turned out to be true because it's women, Women are... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, um, there are times where I've told people lies and I've, you know, made people believe things to be true that were not. Uh, there was this neighbor kid who lived across the street from us and, uh, you know, there was this uh, uh, Korean family that just happened... I lived in Cincinnati, Ohio. There weren't a lot of Asians, but there was a Korean family that just happened to live across the street from us. We went to the same church and everything. And I told this neighbor kid who was like seven years younger than me... Uh, uh, so at the time, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were really big. And I convinced him that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were real. That, like, actually, if you went to the sewers of New York and you looked around, there'd be giant, uh, just ninja turtles down there with masks. And, you know, I thought it was hilarious because he believed me. He's like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Like, when did they find them? I was like, yeah, about 10 years ago, man. You know, like, it's just some like, like city worker was down there and he saw them. And I thought it was so hilarious until one Sunday at church, it's like a pack of boys and they all had their arms crossed like this. And he comes up to me, he's like, Steve, Steve, come over here. Those boys won't believe me that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are real. 
can you set them straight? Can you tell them what you told me? I was like, hey, hey, hey man, I, I got to tell you something, man. Um, I don't know how to break this to you, but see, it's supposed to be a secret, right? Not everyone, like, like you can't tell people. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are real. You and I know that, but they can't handle the truth. He's like, oh, okay, okay. I later told him a couple of years later, I was kidding, and I think he forgave me. I think he might still be in therapy. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, truth is this thing that a lot of us, you know, we believe these things, and a lot of us are wrong. We're wrong all the time. But, friends, have you ever just been so insistent on something that you're like, man, no, no. No, like, let me tell you, this is real, okay? This is true. I know it. I'm not wrong, man. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. Like, I'm telling you. Now, bet. Bet me. Like, seriously, I am right. And then you later find out you're wrong. Has this ever happened to you? Has it ever happened to you? I want to tell you about something that I just recently found out. A few weeks ago, um, this has has actually been circulating um, on the internet. But I just found this out, that a lot of people have been wrong about something that we thought about in our childhood. So there, there's this movie um, called uh, Shazam. Uh, it starts Sinbad, uh, who is this comedian, uh, who's really popular in the 80s and 90s. It's about this, uh, this lovable comedic genie who meets these two young kids. Um, and these kids find a, a, a genie bottle in the attic and they rub it. And the genie comes out and they just have hilarious hijinks. And the one thing that they really want is uh, they want their parents to get back together because they're divorced. And so just through comedy and all these things, they think that the genie can make everything better, but in the end, they find out that there are some things that only love can fix, not a genie. It's very heartwarming, right? And so I believe that this movie was real, and it turns out that this movie is not real. There was never a movie called Shazam. There was actually a movie in the 90s called Kazam with Shaquille O'Neal, uh, that had a very similar plot. Um, but I, I saw this article uh, on my Facebook feed, and it was like the Shazam movie from the 90s starting Sinbad never existed. And I looked at that, and I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, no, like, that's real. And it's crazy because there's all these people on Reddit that just swear, they're like, no, this movie really existed. This is one dude on Reddit who, like, went into detail right, like about the plot, and he remembers like exactly how the opening scene, like the first 10 minutes, like he has dialogue that he remembers, he remembers what what the the cover of the movie looks like, and people are like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that, like I remember when that movie came out, uh, or or when Kazam came out, they're like, man, that's just a ripoff of Shazam, I'm not going to watch that, like what's wrong with Hollywood, why are they always coming out with the same movie, you know, that's already been done with Sinbad, and there's all these people. It got so bad, in fact, that um, people were putting out rewards. They were like, I will give you $1,000 if you produce the videotape for Shazam, because I'm convinced this is real. And the actor, Sinbad, uh, went on his Twitter to be like, yo, you guys are crazy. I was never in a movie about a, like a lovable genie in the 90s. That never happened. But people like, like uh, so, so yeah, there's these, all these articles about false memories and how easily these things form, you know? And it's kind of crazy that there's like all these people who are convinced something happened. Like I seriously like did a lot of research, more research than I should have about Shazam because I was so convinced that this movie existed. 
And uh, anyone ever, is there anyone else uh, who, who thought there was actually a movie called Shazam with Sinbad in it? Okay, maybe I'm alone here, but <laughs> other people on the internet thought that too. Uh, but, you know, in that example, it's kind of innocent and cute, but there's actually some examples where false memory are very painful um, and actually have led to a lot of lives being destroyed. Um, so in 1985, uh, there was... A, uh, uh, th- there was this case, uh, and this was actually covered in the Netflix documentary. I don't know if you guys have seen it, called Making a Murderer. Um, there's this guy named Stephen Avery who lived in Wisconsin. And he was accused of uh, uh, attacking and raping this woman. Uh, her name was Patty, uh, Patty uh, Bjornston. Uh, and they lived in this small town in Wisconsin. And she was jogging on the beach one day. And this man um, just kind of, you know, ran up to her and attacked her, raped her. And um, when she was in the hospital, she was describing her attacker. And the person in the police department didn't like this guy, Stephen Avery. I guess his family had caused some trouble, and he wasn't very popular. And she heard the, the, you know, the description. She was like, oh, that sounds like Stephen Avery. Like, hold on a second. I'll be right back. And she came back and showed him or her a picture of Stephen Avery before they took a sketch. Right? And that, that when she uh, told um, you know, the, 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 the person who takes the portrait, right? like tries to draw what the attacker looks like, um, the guy drew a very similar picture to the picture of Stephen Avery that she was shown. And they had a lineup where she was told to pick out her attacker. And they had Stephen Avery there with a bunch of other dudes. And she picked out Stephen Avery in a lineup. And that when she was uh, uh, on trial... Um, you know, they asked her, do you recognize the man who attacked you? And she very convincingly pointed to Stephen Avery and said, that was the man. I will never forget that face. I stared into his face for about five minutes while he raped me. I will never, ever get his face out of my mind. It's like a photograph in my mind. And so even though Stephen Avery had a, a, a witness he had an alibi that was with him. He was not anywhere near that beach that morning. But he was convicted because her testimony was so convincing. So this was 1985. And in 2003, because back then, they didn't have like all the DNA sort of uh, technology that we have now. But in 2003, they tested the DNA and they found out that Stephen Avery did not commit this crime. It was actually a man named Gregory Allen who was uh, a serial rapist and um, he was actually the person who did it. And Stephen Avery uh, was in jail for 18 years for a crime he did not commit because this woman was absolutely convinced that he was the one who did it. So when he was finally released, uh, Patty Bernstein met Stephen Avery for the first time, and she went up to him, and she was crying, and she hugged him, and she said, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. Friends, how does that happen? How can someone be so convinced, like so convinced, look you in the eye and say, I know this is true. I will stake my life on it. I'm telling you, this is real. And actually be wrong. Happens more than you think. And this is the crazy thing about truth. It's not just exclusive to memory. But friends, I wonder if maybe for a lot of us, we don't know truth the way we think we do. 
And maybe you are like that person who's like, oh, bet. Like, seriously, I know this is true. But there's this principle about truth. And the thing is, in our society, we don't tell a lot of truths, right? Because our society, we place a very high value on harmony over truth, right? So if somebody goes up to you, like let's say, you know, you're a guy and your girlfriend or your wife goes up to you and says, hey, does this make me look fat? What is your highest value in that moment? Is it truth or is it harmony, right? Right? What is it? Are you going to be like, you know what? Truth. <laughs> you know what? Mm, I, I'm sorry. Uh, not, not the most flattering app. No, you're going to look at them and you are going to lie to their face and say, you look wonderful, honey. That's what we do. You know, I heard that in Russia, um, they place a very, very high value on honesty. That, um, you know, in uh, the post-Cold War, in the post-Iron Curtain Soviet Union, where just, you didn't really know who you could trust. And so they found that trust was the, one of the highest commodities you could have. And so people in Russia, they'll tell you the truth. You say, hey, how do I look today? They'll be like, hey, you look horrible. You know, and they'll tell you the truth. You know, if you're being a jerky, you'd like, be like, hey, what you said, that's actually pretty jerky. Like, no, you're completely wrong. If you try to commiserate with your friend in Russia, and you're like, hey, isn't this person crazy? Isn't this person wrong? And they're like, actually, I've kind of weighed objectively. And even though I'm your friend, you're completely in the wrong. You should go apologize to your coworker. We never do that, right? Have you ever like, been hearing something from your friend, and they're telling you about a situation? They're like, oh, let me tell you what happened today. And they tell you the facts of the situation from their perspective. And have you ever thought to yourself, you know what? Actually, my friend's wrong. You know, like my friend actually, I think, acted like wrongly in this situation. My wife and I have been in this situation before where we heard a friend tell a story and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, yeah, that person's so wrong. And then later we're like, yeah, actually kind of side with the, <laughs> with the other person in the story. We do that all the time. Because truth isn't as high a priority for a lot of us. You know, and to hear difficult truths would actually perhaps change us. If we are in the wrong, if we are being a jerk, if we are wrong about our values, if we are wrong about things that we hold to and we base our life on it, but if someone could actually tell you the truth in a way you could receive it and you could correct yourself based on that, you could become a better person. So friends, I want to show you the exchange between uh, Jesus and Pilate. Because maybe at this point in the sermon, you're thinking, but Pastor Steve, how do we even know truth? Right? If we can be wrong about things, right? And if people are wrong routinely about things that they just are like, "Mm, you know what, this is true. I I will stake my life on it. And they actually turn out to be wrong. Then what do we have to even, what solid ground do we have to stand on? when it comes to truth. And so I want to take a look at this story with uh, Jesus and Pontius Pilate um, because I think it talks about the nature of truth. And, and so let's take a look at it, John 18, to 38. So Pilate, and by the way, uh, Pilate was uh, the, the Roman governor over Palestine uh, when Jesus was alive. And so uh, the, the, the governors, they were called prefects, and uh, that he was the one who was placed in charge, even above the king of Israel, who was Herod at the time, and the high priest, who was also very, very powerful. But actually, 
Pilate appointed the high priest, and, and the Roman emperors had to approve all the kings. So it was just kind of like a puppet government, right? But the ultimate power rested in Rome. And Pontius Pilate had more power than all the priests of Israel because he's actually the one who gets to appoint them. And if they start saying things they don't like, they'll depose them. And so here we have Pilate, and he is a very, very powerful man. He enters into uh, the praetorium, which is his headquarters. So this is his office. This is his seat of power. This is where Pilate makes life and death decisions. This is where he gets to send troops to go and kill people if he sees fit, where he gets to rule on laws and all these sorts of things. His seat of power, and he is there with Jesus, who stands accused of a crime where death is put on the table. And so the man with all the power goes to him and asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Can you just imagine Pilate? He's got all the power, all the authority. He's super confident. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Like, do you, do you believe that? Are you just trying to mock me here? Did other people plant that idea or is that something you actually think? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests had delivered you over to me. This is very interesting because remember, Pilate is the one who gets to appoint the high priest, right? And so they delivered them to him, right? So he says, am I a Jew? Does it even matter if you're king of the Jews? Because you answer to me. So let's get this straight, bud. I have all the power here. You're going to talk back to me? Man, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Am I a Jew? Who cares, right? And so, uh, th- so, so then he says, what have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Now, people often misunderstand this. Um, remember, we've been talking about the kingdom of God and the traditional understanding of the kingdom of God in modern Christianity, is that the kingdom of God is something that happens in heaven. We think the kingdom of God is heaven. But the kingdom of God was meant to reign in this world. And and I just want to make that point again, because if it were heaven, then why say, um, my kingdom is not of this world? Wouldn't you just say, my kingdom is not in this world, right? That would be the most direct way to say it. But we know, because maybe you've heard this like Christian cliche, where they say Christians are in the world, not of the world, right? My kingdom is not of the world. It doesn't say my kingdom is not in the world, right? I just want to get that straight in case you're still wondering about the whole kingdom of heaven thing, right? Um, So my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that it might not be delivered over to the Jews, So what does that mean? My kingdom uh, is not of this world. Um, Technically, in the Greek, it means my kingdom is not from the world. But also, I think that that idea of being of the world kind of shows us that's the content of his kingdom is not going to be a worldly type of kingdom. It's not going to be the same type of kingdom that Rome operates in or even Israel operates in. Jesus is saying my kingdom is completely separate than that. I'm not the king of the Jews. I'm the king of my kingdom, which is meant to be the entire world and universe. It's even higher than that. My kingdom is not of this world, and I'm not subject 
to Israel because it's bigger than that. It's different than that. And if I were the king uh, who was meant to rule in Israel, my servants would, would be fighting for me. That's not the kind of kingdom we have here, right? And so Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And friends, what, what is interesting here, and one of the reasons why Pilate is asking him, are you the king of the Jews? And remember, when Jesus starts talking about things, and he said, hey, where'd you hear that from? He's like, hey, am I a Jew? Who cares about that? What does Pilate really want to know? Does he care if he's king of the Jews? No. Why? Because they control the king of the Jews. What he wants to know is, do you think you're my king? Do you think you're higher than Caesar? And as a matter of fact, when they finally convict Jesus, you know what the charge is that they level that sort of convinces Pilate to go along with it? Um, so he, he goes back to uh, the chief priests, and he says, hey, I haven't found anything wrong. What has he done? And they're like, hey, this guy said he's the son of God. And most of us, we take that as blasphemy, right? But what does Pilate care about blasphemy, right? Does he believe in, the, the, uh, in Israel's gods? He doesn't care. But the son of God was a title that was used for Caesar. So when they said, he said he's the son of God, right? And then he's like, wait, isn't he your king? And what did the high priest say? They say, we have no king but Caesar. It's kind of weird because they actually have a king in Israel, right? Herod, right? He actually just saw Jesus just a few moments before, you know, or maybe just a few hours before, you know? And so for them to say that, it's very weird, but they are cutting to the heart of the matter. That's what Herod wants to know. What kind of king do you say that you are? The king of the Jews? Or are you trying to say that you're my king? Because that's what really matters, right? And so he says, so you are a king. He wants to corner Jesus. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. And, and then he says, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate answers with this very, very famous question. It's a question that many philosophers have asked. It is the title of this sermon today. And he says, what is truth? And then after he said this, he goes back inside, uh, goes back outside to the Jews, the Jewish leaders, and told them, I find no guilt in him. Friends, this is a remarkable passage. I wanted to give you a little bit of a background about Pilate so you can understand how remarkable this is. Remember, Pilate seemingly, by the world's standards, has all the power here. All the power. The power over life and death. And he actually tells Jesus that. When Jesus doesn't give him the answers that he wants, he's like, hey, defend yourself. Say something. He's like, you know, don't you realize I have the power over your very life? And Jesus is like, nah, man. It's my translation. <laughs> nah, man. You don't have any power except for what God gave you. And Pilate, this guy has authority. I mean, he is a Roman prefect. You know, in, in our society, politicians, they hold so much power. We look to them for truth. It's part of the reason why we're in the, the predicament we're in right now with like fake news and, you know, um, alternative facts and things like that. It's because our politicians keep lying to us. And people are like, well, hey, if we don't trust our politicians, then who are we going to trust? They're going to tell us the truth. 
right? Their truth is higher than your truth. You're just a guy. You're just some schmo. You're just some person on the internet. But that is our president. Don't you think I'm going to believe our president? And so here's Pilate who's supposed to know truth. He rules on truth. He decides people's life and death based on truth. He's been put in that position because he's the holder of truth. And after his uh, uh, encounter with this, this itinerant preacher, this guy who's a nobody, this guy who has no power, has no title, has no political authority, And at the end, this guy who comes in so confident, he's in his seat of power, in his headquarters, making life or death decisions. And in the end, he starts questioning, man, what is truth? I don't even know what truth is anymore. After I met this guy, what the heck is going on here, friends? Something about Pilate's encounter with Jesus leads him to a greater truth that maybe all the things that he believes in so highly, all the things that he's so certain of, maybe are not what he thinks they are. Maybe he's not as right as he thinks he is. Friends, why is this important? This is important because we will not, never have the kingdom of God until we realize that we are wrong and we can be wrong. In this day and age, man, you see people going at it and people are so not willing to admit when they're wrong, right? We stick to our guns and we will, not, um, we will not stop and we can't be reasoned with. I was thinking about this idea, like nowadays in our political discourse, people can't be reasoned with. In, in, in just any kind of situation where you're talking with somebody, so often people are just like, man, I, like, like they just won't listen to you. And so I just Googled the phrase, can't be reasoned with. And I came up with a movie quote. This was like the number one hit. And it was from the movie Terminator, right? It was a 1980s movie. You guys know the Terminator? Um, it's starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. And he's this unstoppable robot killing machine that went back in time uh, to kill the mother of the resistance, the future human resistance against the robots, Sarah Connor. And so Kyle Reese is a human defender who goes back in time to protect Sarah Connor and find some way to stop this unstoppable killing machine. And so there's this scene where Kyle Reese is just trying to level with Sarah Connor because she thinks that her life can be normal. He's like, look, look, you're not listening. So this is what he says. Uh, This is the quote that got pinged when I put, can't be reasoned with. He says, listen and understand that Terminator is out there. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop ever until you are dead. You're like, Pastor Steve, what the heck? You just went from Pontius Pilate and Jesus to the Terminator, right? Well, what does that have to do with truth? But friends, think about what a Terminator is, right? It's just this robot. It only knows one truth. I'm going to kill this woman. That's the only truth it knows. And it can't be reasoned with. It will just keep going no matter what. And I feel like a lot of times in our world, and I can get like this too. You ever in an argument with someone? And, or, or, you know, I don't know, public discourse, debates, right? And it's like people just can't be reasoned with. Um, I remember a few times, and I actually don't do this anymore. I tried to debate people 
online, and I never do it anymore because it never works. It literally never works, right? And so there's times where, like, uh, like you chat with somebody, you know, Facebook Messenger, and, you know, and then you say, like, hey, God is real. They're like, no, he's not, and you know? And the thing that I noticed is that nobody ever listens anymore, right? What, what are we having these discourses about? Is it about getting to truth, or is it about winning, you know, think about, like, debate club, right? Think about our, our legal system. You get lawyers, and, and the way our legal system was uh, uh, designed was you get one person who defends the person and one person who's working on the other side. But the idea is that even though you're a proponent, you're both supposed to find the truth, right? But that's not our, the way our legal system works anymore. The way our legal system works is each lawyer is trying to win no matter what. Uh, oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. You just told me that thing. Mm-mm, don't say that in court. Oh, that's going to make you look guilty. It's like, yeah, because I am guilty. Yeah, yeah, don't say that, okay? Don't say you're guilty, right? We need to win. I need to get paid. You need to get out, right? And that's the way that we are designed. You know, you, you learn this in school, right? We don't listen to people. We just find ways to disarm their arguments, to poke holes, to find a way to win, and so this is the reason why I don't debate online anymore. Because I realized, like, you know, I would tell somebody something, and, you know, this very long, thought-out thing. Just like, hey, you know, from my heart, I just want you to know this truth. I did a lot of research on this, and it's just this huge wall of text, like, bing! And I'm like, this is my masterpiece. I'm going to convince them. This is going to be so good, right? And what happens? As soon as it goes, bing! I see those three dots, dot, 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 dot. What is the three dots? What do the three dots mean? They're writing something. Right? So what happened? The moment that I wrote something, they just scan it. They don't even read it, but they start responding. So what does that show you? And I do this too, by the way, friends. You know, the moment somebody responds with something, I'm like, I'm trying to anticipate, like, oh, what are they going to say? Right? It's like a boxing match, right? Like, they're going to come in with a jab, and I got to go, boom, and boom, counterpunch. And I'm like setting up my counterargument. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go, here we go. And I read it, and I'm not really listening. I'm not really processing that information. I'm not really ever entertaining the possibility that I'm wrong, right? I'm so certain I'm right that I'm just going to go in for a counterpunch. And that's what most of us do. You know, friends, I I have seen people who are just so convinced that they're right. You know, uh, I I had this friend who um, was this hardcore Republican. Man, loved Reagan was like, like just, you know, he loved like all the like conservative radio talk shows and all this stuff. And when, when I was in seminary, I tried to get him to watch uh, Bowling with Columbine, which is like a liberal, uh, sort of a very liberal-leaning documentary about violence and gun violence. And we started watching it for um, 10 minutes, and we had to turn it off because he was getting so mad. Right? We didn't even watch the whole thing. But he's like, Steve, just, you got you to turn this off, man. You got to turn this off. Uh, I'm not hearing this, right? And I'm like, whoa, what's going on, man? He's like, yeah, this, is just, this is just BS, right? I'm not going to listen to this. I'm like, okay, cool, right? And he was just like gung-ho Republican, right? So a few years passed down the road, and, and we've kind of fallen out of touch a little bit. And, you know, we're Facebook friends, so I get to see pictures of his kids. And, you know, he married a, a woman who's more liberal. He's a school teacher. Republicans aren't always the friends of, you know, public school teachers in a lot of cases. And his, his wife uh, really, you know, 
very sweet, uh, nice person is a Democrat. And so years later, just, just a few months ago, I didn't know this happened. Like, I was just blown away. I was looking at my Facebook feed, and there was a picture of him with a Clinton Kane sign. It's like, go Hillary! And I was like, what? I was like, my brain was exploding. I was like, what is going on? What? I'm like, dude, is this real? Like, like did, some, did you lose a bet? He's like, nah, man. You know, Hillary, I'm with her. She's my girl. I'm like, what the heck happened? He's like, ha, 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 whatever. And then now all of his posts are just completely anti-Republican, <laughs> completely pro-Democrat, right? And this is the crazy thing. It's the way he was so stubborn about being right about being a Republican. He is that stubborn about a, being a Democrat now. And it's crazy. I'm like, dude, do you not remember just like two years ago, right? Like, and then everything that you base your life on or your political beliefs and all these things, now you're saying you're wrong, but now you're equally stubborn about this other approach. And it's weird, right? Friends, do you ever get like that? You know, there's people who are so convinced they're right. And, you know, I, I, I have a... a a friend of mine on Facebook who actually uh, used to go to one of my churches. And I remember I met with him a few years back and, you know, he was a Christian and he had some very strong beliefs. I mean, he, he was working through some doubts and he was a scientist, you know, but we had some very spirited debates about God and, you know, the truth of scripture and these kinds of things. And so, you know, kind of fast forward a few years and um, now he and his wife post all these things about like, you know, God is not real. God is fake. Right, this is all a sham and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, very interesting. And so last week on his Facebook feed, um, he posted his status update was, yeah, just told my, um, my, my six-year-old daughter that we are nothing more than special apes, right? Like we're just gorillas that just evolved a little bit more. And he made her cry, right? <laughs> like she cried and cried and cried. And, you know, I'm like, Yo, man, you're so certain. You're so certain of that. You sure? You sure? You sure about that? You're going to make your kid cry? <laughs> right? And look her straight in the eye like, hey, honey, you know, we are not special. You're, you're just an ape. Right? Daddy, how do you know? I just know. Daddy's a scientist. I know everything. Right? I'm right. You're going to crush your daughter like that? Are you right? Are you sure? Are you that certain? You know, and friends, um, I remember a few years back I heard uh, the, the atheist prayer. Atheist prayer is wonderful. <laughs> and, and it's kind of honest. And, you know, I was, I was re- reading something that Dallas Willard wrote where he's like, you know, a lot of lives have been changed. A lot of people have become Christ followers because of the atheist prayer. This is the atheist prayer. Dear God, if there is a God, save my soul if I have a soul. <laughs> Dear God, if there is a God, Save my soul if I have a soul, right? It's just a little bit more honest. It creates this room like maybe I don't know as much as I think I do. You know, and there's so many people who are shouting. They're telling you the truth and they're just pounding it and they're yelling it. And this is the thing that that I found is that oftentimes people who have to shout things or yell things or say things are probably saying that because of some insecurity. Yeah, I, I know this to be... True, uh, for me at least, because um, I, I remember as a pastor, and I, you know, I, I mean, I've done this at, at times, 
um, my roommate in seminary told me, he's like, man, if you ever have a weak point, you know what you do? Is, is you just pound the podium, like, really hard. Like, the weaker the point, the, the, the harder you pound the podium, you know? It's like, yeah, I have no backup for this, but I'm right, you know? And people who are right, they don't really need to shout it because they have a quiet confidence about it. You know, in the same way that, you know, people who are <laughs> really good looking don't need to keep saying, I'm really good looking, you know? People who are really funny don't need to say, I'm really funny. You know, there's this whole thing about, like, uh, I've seen, like, you know, whenever a guy says he's a nice guy to a girl, he's probably not a nice guy. Nice guys don't need to say they're nice, right? They just are, you know? And this is so true in life where that the people who have to shout and to, to try to show their authority, you know, that oftentimes they don't really have the truth. Um, look at Jesus. So this encounter with Pilate, it leaves him changed. Is Jesus shouting? Is Jesus yelling? You know, Jesus is actually very calm and oftentimes doesn't defend himself when I would be like, yo, Jesus, take Pilate to school, man. You're Jesus. You can say so much more. But Jesus is just very short to the point. You know, I imagine Pilate's like, what, am I a Jew? Hey, man, do you know who you're talking to? And Jesus is like, my kingdom's not of this world. <laughs> you can't do anything to me, sir. And Pilate's like, what? What are you talking about, man? I'm Pilate. I'm the Roman prefect, bro. And Jesus is like, it's cute. <laughs> hey, man, if you knew the truth, you'd know it. You'd know it. And this encounter with Jesus, you know, something about him, the way he carries himself, you know, the, the, this, this inner peace. I mean, just think about it. If you were in that situation, right, what would be your truth? You know, what, what would be your truth if you were before a Roman prefect and they're like, hey, so, so you believe in God? You think God is real? I could kill you if you don't tell me what you want to hear. And you're like, yeah, God is real. Yeah, God is real, right? You know, we're like we're really scared or we're, maybe we're yelling it because we're really insecure. Yeah, God is real. But inside, we don't really know it. We don't carry ourselves with that truth. So the thing about truth is that any way you slice it, it's going to be true. Right? It's not just words. It's not just lip service. And this is what we believe about Jesus. Um, it says in John 14, 6, we're going to put up this little quote here, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In other words, Jesus himself is truth. Not just his words, but him, his essence. Right? I, I know this is going to sound weird, but do you ever like, have like a cake and like, on the outside it's chocolate? You're like, oh, chocolate cake, and you cut into it, and there's vanilla. Oh, I wanted chocolate, right? Or, or you get that, that bunny on Easter. You're like, oh, like so much chocolate, but inside it's hollow, right? You're like, what the heck? I'm so ripped off here. It looks so big, but it's really a very little chocolate and when you get down to it. You know, if you were to slice open Jesus, and this is the weird part, <laughs> if you were to slice open Jesus... Jesus is Jesus all the way through, right? You know, slice open Jesus and all of a sudden like, oh, I thought it was chocolate, but it's vanilla or it's hollow. Jesus is Jesus all the way through in his bones, in his being. And from this encounter with Jesus, Pilate is like, I mean, he doesn't come out like all the way like, oh, you're Jesus, you know, you're God, I'm gonna worship you. 
But this man who was so certain is now like, man, I, I, don't, I don't really know if I know what truth is. Because this guy's got something. There's something about this man. Who does that? Who comes into the, the, my headquarters with that much peace? Who does that? Friends, um, this has been my experience. You know, sometimes people ask me, but Pastor Steve, how do we know? How do you know the Bible is true? How do you know any of this stuff is true? My answer is always this. It's not because some pastor told me that, that I should believe the Bible. You know, maybe some people, they, that's their faith. And those people, they get really heated, right? Bible is true. I'm telling you, man, you just have to believe it, okay? It's true. It's true. It's true. And it's like, man, why are you pounding so hard? <laughs> what are you trying to hide, bro? You know, what are you insecure about? You know, but for me, that the reason why I believe the Bible to be true is not because of the Bible itself. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the encounters that I had with Jesus. Much like Pontius Pilate, that this, this encounter with Jesus left him with a new framework for what is true. Jesus changed my life. My life has never been the same. And what I want from life is for more of that truth to seep in. And the thing is, what we have seen through Jesus is that Jesus is actually not very comforting for a lot of people. Do you know that? We see Jesus like, oh, Jesus is so gentle, right? Jesus is so nice. You know, Jesus pissed off a lot of people, right? What happened when Jesus went into the temple? Like, oh, hey, you're, you're the guy who might be the Messiah. Come in. And Jesus is like overturning tables and stuff, right? Jesus is telling them they're all wrong. You know, they, they, didn't, they, didn't, like, they weren't down with Jesus anymore. Like, man, I don't like this guy. This guy's a jerk. You know, or think about like the rich man who came and like, hey, what can I do? He's like, oh, give away all your wealth because it is your God. And you're never going to follow this God if you hold on to this God. He's like, ah, all right, see you later, Jesus. <laughs> like, yo, man, that's not what I wanted to hear. And this is the thing, friends. How are we ever going to grow? How are we ever going to become the people that God wants us to be, if we recognize that, we're like, yeah, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I'm not always good. But Jesus is. And if Jesus is that, then by comparison, when we stand in his presence and when we let Jesus examine our life, when we let the word of God examine our lives, we're going to find a lot of things that are not right about us. And are we willing to stand and receive that? This is a lot of what my spiritual practice is about. It's being in the presence of God with the Bible open and just with this honesty and peace. And I have to take a lot of deep breaths because, friends, I got to tell you, these truths can be sometimes really uncomfortable. I'll just tell you some of the truths I've come to. Some of the truths I've come to is that um, I have depression. And depression is not something that's going to go away easily. Talked about this before. You know, I used to believe, and I actually am reevaluating this, that I'd have depression for the rest of my life. But now I've, I'm kind of uh, readjusting that. See, I, I don't, I'm not always right. Um, I had to readjust that and say, you know what? I don't believe that I, I'm going to have it for the rest of my life. But I do believe it's going to be a lot harder to get rid of than I thought. I, I came to truth about my anger. Those times where I would just kind of like flare up in traffic. I'm like, yeah, that's not normal. That's not good. You know, that, that's something that I actually need to deal with. 
And Jesus will uncover a lot of these truths. And friends, you know, we're not going to get into all of it. We'll, we'll talk about this more in coming weeks. But the idea is that are you willing to be wrong? Are you willing to admit that you don't have all truth? That Jesus is the one who has all truth? You know? And for me, that, that has been my experience. That there is something about this man, about his life, about his words, about his character that is right. And what we say about Jesus is that he's not just the son of God. He's the son of man. What does that mean? Jesus is humanity as it meant to be. Jesus is right, righteous. He is humanity the way it's supposed to be. And so when I stand in the presence of Jesus, I see who I'm supposed to be. A person of love and forgiveness. A person of grace a person who has peace and hope and love and joy just overflowing from his essence. A person who could stand in front of all the earthly authorities and be calm because he he knew his truth. He knew his God. He knew his identity. And when I stand in the presence of Jesus, that's what I want. I want to know that truth. What about for you, friends? Are we willing to be wrong? Are we willing to let the truth of who God is show us where God wants to come in and change us with his grace? It's going to take time, friends. But he wants to bring us into greater truth, into greater righteousness, to become more the people that we were always meant to be. Can I ask the praise team to come up? And uh, friends, uh, you know, it's not hard, uh, it's not easy, I should say, (laughs) always to hear truths. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to talk more in the coming weeks. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I think it's going to be fun, friends, because, you now I've got to tell you, um, some of the best friendships I've had are the ones when people have really been honest with me. And I knew that it was coming from a place of love. They weren't doing it because they thought they were better than me. They weren't doing it to prove a point. They weren't doing it to be mean-spirited or to cause pain. But they were doing it because they loved me. And friends, I believe that about God. I believe God loves you so much that he's not going to leave you in your wrongness. He wants to show you the truth. And so friends, I just want us to take a moment and just kind of reflect on that. You know, where is our heart? Are are we so convinced that we are right? Do we have this shield? Do we have this way of carrying ourselves? Are we like Pontius Pilate before Jesus, walking in with all the authority, with all the rightness? But maybe if we could just be genuine for a moment with this man, Jesus, the perfect man, man with no flaw, man with all love and joy and hope and peace, man who trusted God so completely, who loved the world fearlessly, who stood in the, force, in the face of the forces of darkness, and he would not shy away. He defended people. He loved people. He loved people that would cost him social standing. He loved people even when it hurt, when it was difficult. He defied people who laughed at him. But he did that because of love. He went to the cross because of love. His truth was that his God would defend him and be with him always. Even if his mortal life would end, he knew that his life with God was secure. What is your truth, friends? Is there any way that this man, Jesus, 
and his life is rubbing up against your life and showing us where it's wrong. Maybe just simply we have to come before him again and just admit, God, I don't know as much as I know. Lord, I need to come into new places of humility. Lord, the burden of always being right is just something that I cannot bear. So let God be true and let every man be a lie. Let God be the ultimate light in the darkness. And let him be the one that ultimately will show me the way to life. That's what I want, friends. If I want that, I need to admit that I'm wrong. And so, God, we come before you. Show us, Lord, your truth. Let us be humble enough to admit when we are wrong. And to admit that we're probably more wrong than we recognize. Our grasp on truth is not absolute. We are not God. We are not you. We are not the perfect man. But God, your son is. So show us more of him. We want more of him in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.